See, because the thing about success and really going to the next step, it's oftentimes not what to do, it's what not to do. How much more successful would you be if you had lunch once a week with insanely successful entrepreneurs who share their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Grab your seat at the table, because this is Business Lunch with Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice. Welcome to another episode of Business Lunch. And today's a snackable episode with Roland where he's going to get into some more tactical strategies that you can start using to live a rich and happy life. If this is the first snackable episode you're hearing, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes that Roland has put out. And if you want to get notified every time we release a new episode, go to the new businesslunchpodcast.com website and we'll send you detailed notes along with every episode. That's businesslunchpodcast.com, www businesslunchpodcast.com and you can sign up for the free email newsletter where you'll be able to get all the highlights and resources from the episodes. I had the good fortune to meet our next speaker several years ago and um, work with him in one of our masterminds, watch him go from, he was actually came into our 2014 traffic and conversion summit is a big event that we run for marketers every year for digital marketers. And um, I met Sam initially, as I recall, and he and Deanna will correct me if this isn't accurate, through Deanna, who brought him and said, uh, we were looking for people who would help us sell our mastermind at Traffic and Conversion Summit. And um, Sam and his partner at the time came and sold for us. And um, then he went on to be a part of another mastermind where he had this crazy idea about representing real estate agents and having them get to keep all of the money, 100% of the commissions from the business. And at that mastermind, he said, I'm thinking about this crazy idea. And nobody said that he was as crazy as he thought it might be, uh, is how I remember it. He, again, he'll correct that. This is the, this is the story as I, as I understand it. Therefore, it's my truth. Okay. Um, has the benefit of also being true. So he then opened that real estate brokerage consistently ranked in the top of the Inc 500 fastest growing companies, while also unlike many of those companies making a wonderful profit as well. He grew it to be one of the top 10 independent real estate brokerages in the country. They did about $6.2 billion in sales last year. He is super, super passionate, a wonderful, nice guy, and, um, and also a fellow sneaker and watch collector. Kent was hating on watch collectors. I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, and, uh, and also, I had the uh, good sense to sit down with Sam at an event that he was putting on in Coronado and say, you should have me be part of your company. I am not shy about telling people that they should have me be part of their company. I said, you should have me be part of your company. And we wrangled and finagled for over a year about doing that. And finally, he had the good sense to give me equity in his company and make us business partners. Since then, we've acquired several companies. We've acquired Facebook groups and all kinds of other things. He's going to share some of that with you. But we're now in a very, very, very big $6 billion plus play 
and that's through a roll-up. And I'm going to let him share all of that and his story. But super, super awesome guy. Let's give a big hand to Sam Karamian. How are you guys doing today? That it? Guys, I drove like an entire five minutes to get here today. Can I get a little more energy? I said, how are you guys doing today? Um, so Roland uh, gave the very condensed story of how we ended up working on a uh, billion dollar, several billion dollar exit. So with your permission today, I'd like to tell you a little about how we ended up working together because I think that that is one of the biggest parts of the lesson uh, Two, some of the things that happened along the way. Uh, and three, how we're putting together uh, this, this new plan that we're really excited about that, that should help us make a, a few billion dollars. Uh, is that okay with all of you? So I'll start by saying um, my biggest secret to success is I buy my friends. Serious. I buy my friends. Uh, while all of my friends, you know, I'm Persian. So like all, all of my friends went to college to be doctors or attorneys or dentists or whatever it was. And I spent all of that time in seminars and in masterminds. Uh, and everyone laughed at me while they were going to get their degree. I was, I was building relationships and I was learning how to shortcut my way to success. And I don't really believe there's any shortcut to success other than relationships. Can we all agree with that? Right? I mean, there's hacks, there's tricks, uh, but really the only true shortcut to success uh, is relationships. And as Roland said, uh, Deanna and I, uh, you know, before big block days, 15 years ago, Deanna would hire me to uh, bring, bring sales to an event. So I would work at the back of the room and help them convert stuff. And uh, I really didn't, I knew about the infamous Roland and digital marketer. I never had the pleasure of meeting him. And I go to TNC. Has anybody been to TNC? Okay. If you haven't, you're totally missing out. Um, and I see Roland and immediately I get my man crush. Uh, can I tell you why? Okay. For the three of you that care, I'll share it with you. Uh, has anyone else noticed that Roland just has that super happy rich man glide? You know what I mean? Like the guy just never phased. It's like, he's not even walking. He's just like hovering over the ground always smiling. And I'm like, I immediately knew that I needed to be connected to this guy. What that means to me is I need to buy his friendship, right? Because um, that's, that's to me, like I said, the number one, the number one secret to success is buying your friendship. Because why in the world would Roland want to give me time when he has the opportunity to work with a bunch of great people like you? So we joined the mastermind that he was running uh, with really one main goal, uh, and then the obvious goal. The obvious goal was join a mastermind, uh, learn some cool things, learn some tricks, grow our business, scale our business. Uh, the second goal, which is really the first goal, was that no matter what, we were going to make Roland love us and want to be our business partner. And we went into that very intentionally with that purpose um, so we went and, uh, you know, two years after being in the mastermind, we ended up landing on the Inc 500 list, 26 fastest growing company in America. Uh, then the next year, 31 fastest growing company, then 33. Uh, we were in the top 50 of the fastest growing companies in America for four years in a row. 
Um, and all of a sudden, Roland started to pay a little bit of attention uh, to the guy that always sat at the bar and always wore a hat. And um, fast forward, uh, he starts talking about verticalizing into different businesses. And uh, so I invite him to come speak at my office one day. Uh, we're doing a little mastermind. I said, hey, Roland, we live in the same city. It'd be great if you could come and just share with the group. So he comes over to our office, you know, maybe 30 minutes from here in Mission Valley, and I'm giving him a tour and we walk by. And I remember this, this is the moment that my life changed. This is the moment I'm about to share with you today. We're walking through the office and showing them all around. And we, we pass by a room that's probably about the half the size of this room, completely empty with a bunch of cubicles. And he's like, he's like, whoa, 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 what is this? Why is it empty? And I said, well, funny, you should ask, Roland, uh, before we met you and were a part of the war room and really learned everything that we did at Digital Marketer, uh, our company's growth was primarily focused or built upon dialing for dollars. So this room used to be our sales floor. I had people that were just literally pounding the phone day in and day out, setting up appointments for us to recruit agents. But because of the things that we've learned from your business, your teachings, your masterminds, we no longer need that because almost all of our recruiting is done online through the digital things that you guys have taught us. And I saw the little sparkle in his eye, right? Oh my God, I think I got him. So fast forward uh, to a couple of weeks before the event he was talking about in Coronado, uh, he calls me and he says, Sam, you know, I really think that we should explore the opportunity for me to be your business partner in what you're doing. I'm really you know, impressed and I think I could add a lot of value. I'm on speakerphone, my business partner on the phone. We hang up and like, yes, 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 yes. Like touchdown dance happy, right? Like we made it happen. This guy all of a sudden is interested in what we're doing. And this is a big deal for me because I barely graduated high school. Um, I went to college for about five and a half minutes uh, for one reason, which was parties and girls. I, I guess that's two reasons, but generally they happened at the same time. Um, so... Uh, you know, a guy like me in my mind is, was not the type of dude that would end up being business partners with someone like Roland. So that was just the fact that he was interested was a big win for us. As he explained, we went on and, and negotiated for a while and ended up bringing him on as a partner of the company. And through that process, there's been countless times where um, I phoned a friend. See, because the thing about success and really going to the next step, it's oftentimes not what to do, it's what not to do. It's oftentimes when you feel like you're up against the wall and you just found out your business partner stole $300,000 from you, the first thing that a Persian-blooded man like me wants to do is pull out a gun and make a very bad decision. But instead of doing that, what do I do? I phone a friend. Uh, and countless times this man is talked me off the ledge, helped me fix my problems with insight and intuition and guidance. Um, and fast forward, we've, we've bought a lot of companies together and, and my life is completely different today than it was 10 years ago, 12 years ago when I was just the guy working at his seminar. Uh, so I say to you, for those of us that come to these events, sitting in the chairs that you're sitting in today, uh, you're here for a reason, and I know that that reason is because you want to grow your business. And I know that for most of us, a part of you is thinking, man, like, if I could just have someone like that in my corner, 
Imagine how everything will be easier. Imagine how much faster I can grow. Uh, and, and I am the product of you're damn right. And you're not that far away from that. It's a simple conversation and, and deciding to go deeper. See, when I joined the mastermind, I probably uh, joined a little too, too premature, uh, but it all ended up working out. So the interesting thing, and, and this is something that you guys are all in this room for a reason. Um, you guys understand this. When you're trying to grow your business, everybody wants to give you advice, right? All of your friends want to give you advice. No, you know, you can't do 100% commission or you can't do this. You can't do that. Um, but there's very few people that can give you counsel. This man is my counsel. This is, you know, obviously I did the work, but he, he laid the, the roadmap, right? He, he paved the road and, and everywhere that I want to go and everywhere I want to be, he's been before. So it was really easy for me to drop my ego and just say, let, let's, let's let Roland give us some advice and we don't always have to be right. Uh, but the thing about me um, is I came out to shoot a special type of crazy. What I mean by that is I knew from a very young age, um, even before I remember remembering it, my mom would tell me, you know, ever since you were a little kid, you're like, I promise you, I'm going to be a billionaire and I'm going to buy you everything. And I'm going to, this is just, I came out to shoot that way. Uh, I say that for two reasons. One, I know that I'm going to be a billionaire. I just didn't know how. And you either come out to shoot a special type of crazy or you have to put yourself in the environment like you are today to manufacture that level of craziness to actually believe that you can achieve the things that you want to achieve, even though the rest of the world will tell you why it can't happen, the hurdles you're going to experience, everything in between. Uh, so for those of us that have these wild ideas, the first thought I have for you is very simple. When you're talking about taking your business to the next level, when you're talking about your big, crazy ideas, like I said, I want to be a billionaire so much. I have three commas tattooed on my hand to remind me every single damn day that I am going to be a billionaire. When I say that to most of the people in my world, they think I'm crazy. Which brings me to my first point for you. Don't ever allow someone to tell you what you can or can't do. You want to know why? Because they're not crazy as you or crazy enough as you to believe that it's possible. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like all of you have the ability to come up with these great ideas with the right resources, the right relationship and the right environment. Don't ever allow someone to tell you that you can't achieve what you want to achieve because they are different. Those people can do what they want to do, but people like me and Roland and Kevin and Kent and the other speakers and, and, and uh, Deanna, uh, all of us believe that we can. We're crazy enough to believe it's doable and we do it. Um, so that brings me to kind of telling you about how we're setting up for a, a $6 billion exit. Is it okay if I share that with you? Uh, can I tell you how we're also setting up for a $6 billion exit without paying any money to buy any of the businesses. Uh, even better, can I tell you how we're doing it by actually having the businesses pay us to acquire them? Would that be okay with you? All right. So uh, 
as we started to end up on the Inc. 500 list, as you could imagine, the phone starts to ring, right? Private equity, VC, competitors, everyone, you know, three, four times a year, we get approached by someone that wants to buy us. And I, I believe it was Roland, but in my earlier days, someone told me, hey, as soon as I got on the Inc. 500, people are going to start calling and they're going to want to buy you. Even if you have no intention of selling, you always take the meeting because you'll always learn something. And I want you to go into those meetings at, with full intention and integrity, but I always want you to ask them, well, if you're looking at this sort of valuation, what does my business need to look like to give me this sort of valuation? So then I can go back and work on those steps to take us from a 10 million or a hundred million or whatever it is to several billion dollar exit. Does that make sense? So always take those meetings because your cockiness, your egoness, your pride, the love of your business will oftentimes tell you, oh, I don't want them to think that I'm willing to sell. But the strategist says, I'm going to go into that meeting and I'm going to suck every single piece of knowledge and information that I can so that I can manufacture the business that they're looking for to help me get what I want. Is that real with all of you? So I take these meetings. I probably have done 30 or 40 of these meetings. Uh, but then the one happened, the one that changed everything. Uh, this is probably about at this point, eight, probably closer to 12 months ago, I get a phone call, uh, from a private equity firm. And he's like, Hey, we're buying six of the biggest hundred percent shops. We have you hundred percent commission. Like Roland said, we have you pegged as one of the best. Uh, are you interested in selling? My answer is always the same. Hey. We're always open to meetings. We really have no interest in selling, but if there's enough zeros behind the number, anything is, is an option. Uh, and I, I always say that to them, by the way, if there's enough zeros, anything's an option. Um, so I take the meeting and go out to meet with Denver, uh, go out to Denver to meet with this gentleman. It was us and the six other companies that he's buying. And I go to the meeting and I'm blown away but not in a good way, in an interesting way. And I remember walking through the hallway, pacing around on the phone with Roland. And I say to Roland, I'm like, dude, this is very interesting. What this man is doing is he's buying six of the biggest 100% commission shops, and he's paying us a multiple that ranged from five to seven X. Most real estate companies trade at like a three to five X. Uh, he's buying all these companies He's merging them and he's immediately going public. Did you know that real estate companies trade at a multiple of close to 30X? He's like, yeah, I did know that. I said, what's interesting to me is one, he's buying us at this and immediately going public and getting that. That's really cool. But what's really interesting to me is this guy has never been in real estate. This guy is very unlikable. Like I cannot imagine working for him but I got to tell you, Roland, those zeros look pretty nice. I, you know, I'm thinking this is the deal. And he said something that at the time went right over my head. Because mind you, this is like the meeting that happened after three months of talking on the phone. Why do I say that? My wife is already spending the money, right? She's, she's already house shopping, boat shopping. She's buying entire jewelry stores, right? Like my business partners are already riding off into the sunset. And every week, every day, my wife, my dad, my business partners, 
bro, what's up with the deal? Like what, what's happening? And me and Roland are taking the lead on this, mainly Roland. And I'm just sitting there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so I kept saying to all of them, and it got really heavy and really overwhelming. My like, guys, if this deal doesn't happen, it's because God or the universe or whatever you believe in has a bigger or better plan for us. So please politely shut the fuck up and stop asking. Like I can't, the pressure was all on me. And those numbers looked really, really exciting. So back to the phone call with Roland. Uh, I say, man, it's really interesting. He's putting this together. He's getting this crazy multiple by going public. He's never been in real estate. He's very unlikable. He knows no one in the business, but yet he's managed to get the six biggest 100% shops at the table at the same time. And he's going to give us half cash and half shares. And we go public, that other 50% will probably be 5x the first 50%. This is really exciting. And he said, you know what's interesting about that, Sam? I said, what? He said, imagine if we had someone that did know real estate. And imagine if that someone had really good connections in the space. And imagine if that someone had a personality that was somewhat likable and people enjoyed to be around him. Imagine what we could do. Right over my head, I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be really cool. Like, man, I wish we had that type of person. Why? Because I had my blinders on and I'm just looking at these zeros at this offer. And, and to me, I, it went right over my head. So we come home, another month of negotiating. And the thing that is interesting about Roland, which is a good nugget for all of you in the negotiating process, um, Roland, when this year of negotiating to become our partner, he never made me feel the pressure or the pain. He never was like aggressive with it. He was always happy, very flowy. Like, so that's a big lesson. When you're doing these deals, be the type of person that they want to do a deal with. Did you hear that? Be the type of person they want to do a deal with. And Roland, that was one of my first lessons when he was trying to work with us, is he never made me feel like I had to make the decision tomorrow. Uh, and he continued to always add value. He'd call me and say, hey, well, have you thought about this? Or have you thought about that? So um, he did not want us to take this deal, but he was being very Roland-y about it. He's like, yeah, let's explore it. Yeah, I'll negotiate it. And man, you hear this guy on the other end of the phone negotiating with someone, your jaw's on the floor. Like he took us from this valuation to that valuation to future this. He's using words I never heard of. All I know is the number keeps getting bigger and I keep getting happier, right? Um, so we finally get the final, the, the final term sheet. We meet with him uh, just down the road a little bit. And he's pretty much begging us to not take the deal. He's like, dude, I promise you this is not the right time. We're in hockey stick mode. Like we just started franchising, all these different things. Like if you guys want to take it, it's fine. But I promise you it's not the right time. And we all promised each other, uh, me and my business partners, that we were really going to take Roland's advice and run with it, even if we didn't like it. So that meant for us what? We're turning down the offer. It also meant that I'm cussing Roland out on the drive home. Like I, you know, I, I, I was really emotionally attached. I was too close to the deal. But what did I tell you guys that I kept saying to my wife and my business partners and my dad? If it's not this deal, it's because the universe or God or whoever or whatever you believe in has a bigger, better plan for you. Turn down the offer that day. No joke. Less than eight hours later, I wake up in the middle of the night 
with my aha. Like, holy shit. And I'm like, okay, well, we could do this. We could do that. And I'm doing the math. And I'm like, man, this, this could originally, this could be a $2 billion play. Wake up the next morning. And funny enough, um, me and my business partners, every quarter have an executive retreat. where We go rent a beach house. We disconnect for two, three days. And all we do is mastermind and work on our businesses. Uh, so that day, the next day that I woke up was we're driving up to, to the house and I sit down with them and I'm like, dude, I think I figured it out, guys. And I share with them the idea. And what do you think all of us? Uh, I have one minority partner uh, that runs a business with us and another uh, 50 50 partner and then Roland. Us three, what do you think the first thing that we said was? Well, let's phone a friend. Call Roland. And I think he was in London at the time, if I remember correctly. Uh, this, this man answers my phone while he's probably sipping like $20,000 bottles of champagne. Um, he answers my phone and I'm like, dude, tell me that I'm crazy and we shouldn't do this or tell me that I'm crazy and we're onto something. And I tell him the idea and he says, I'll tell you what, you're crazy if you don't do this. This is going to work. This is the real deal. And he says, well, call Grant. Grant's his attorney and now our attorney. He's like, call Grant, get Grant's opinion. Call Grant, same thing. Man, this is, this is a really damn good idea. Yeah, you should do this. Um, so now we knew we were onto something. Can I tell you what the plan is and now what we're under um, in the process of putting together? Is that okay with all of you? So if we think about the prior deal with Denver guy, um, unlikable guy, he, there's two, two friction points, two challenges for the buyer and the seller. For me as the seller, um, I have to sell at today's EBITDA times a multiple. Everyone get that? Um, regardless of any of his value add in terms of resources and money and all the things that he would potentially bring to acquiring the business, uh, our EBITDA is probably going to be two times what it is in the next 24 months. So he gets to buy us at today's, at today's EBITDA times a multiple. Roland did some negotiating to get us some future pacing or whatever it's called. Um, but he, the friction point is like, we're still growing and he gets to buy us relatively close to today's EBITDA. The other problem is I have to work for some jerk that I don't want to work for. And there was a three year in the term. Originally, I think it started at five. Roland got it down to three. I had to go work for this guy for three years. And I remember telling my wife, I'm like, dude, I can't work for this guy, but those zeros, I could probably do it. Um, but I didn't want to do it, right? I didn't want to go from being my own boss to working for some guy that I really didn't like. I actually did not like him. I liked the offer. I didn't like him. Um, and then the other problem for the buyer is um, capital gains, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. Um, so what's the problem for the seller? He had to have hundreds of millions of dollars to put this deal together. He has to put his, you know, his money on the line, form the deal, convince a bunch of people, put out a bunch of money. So it's challenging to a degree for both sides. Do, do you guys get what I'm saying by that? So I'm thinking about this process and I say to myself, okay, well, we, I think we landed at like a, a six times multiple. The average publicly traded real estate company trades at a 31 times multiple. Uh, the average uh, pre the past six months um, 
pre-recession, I, I want to say the average amongst all verticals or all industries was 26 times multiple. Um, I'm like, damn, well, that, that's, that's, a big, that's a big point. 31 times versus six times is being rich versus generational wealth. You guys, you guys get that, right? Um, and I was like, well, what he's doing is he's ultimately bundling EBITDA. He's buying it. He's packaging it. He's taking it to Wall Street and he's going to make his money. And he's going to pay everyone a bunch of money to do it, do it uh, in terms of buying the companies. Well, what if, what if we went and we bundled? Originally, the idea was $100 million. Today, uh, because of, uh, and I'll share, you, share with you why, now the target is $300 million of bundled EBITDA. Instead of going to, uh, what's your name? Demetrius. Instead of going to Demetrius and saying, hey, Demetrius, you own a real estate brokerage. Uh, you have a $1 million of EBITDA. At most, the market's going to give you $4 million. I'm going to give you $2 million cash now, $2 million on earnout, and you're going to have to work for a guy that you probably don't want to work for. Um, instead of doing that, I could go to him and say, hey, you have a you have million dollars of EBITDA or $10 million of EBITDA. Um, I'm going to go over the next 24 months, and we're going to collectively bundle $300 million of EBITDA. In the next 24 months, I'm not taking any control of your business. Um, you still are growing your EBITDA. You're still completely in charge. There's some formalities of like reporting your numbers and all that stuff that we can get into if you guys care in the Q&A section. Um, but now I'm going to go bundle $300 million of EBITDA. And if we take the $300 million of EBITDA and forget the national average for real estate companies being a 31X, forget the 26 as the average amongst all industries, assume that all we get on that uh, going public on the IPO is a 20X. Does anybody know what 300 million times 20 is? Six billion, billion dollars. So for Demetrius to be a part of this, one, he has to sign a letter of intent. He's agreeing to participate, but he has to give me a $25,000 non-refundable deposit. So I've effectively brought him into this. Uh, he's paying me 25,000 bucks, non-refundably a part of it. Now you're going to say, well, what, what do they get? What do you get? Well, very simply, myself, Roland, uh, and the partners are taking a 30% management fee for putting this whole thing together. What's 30% of $6 billion? 1.8 billion bucks. Buying the company, zero money out of pocket. Getting them to give us a $25,000 deposit and creating a true win-win scenario. Because Demetrius, if he sold on the streets, is going to get three, four, if he got lucky, $5 million. Now I come to him and say, hey, dude, how's a 20 million minus my 30% management fee? How does that sound? Are you guys starting to put this together? So before we have any paperwork, uh, although Roland and Grant were like, wait till we get everything ready before you call someone. What did I have to do? I had to, I had to, I had to call someone and pitch this. Like I had to know, is someone going to say yes? Or are they going to tell me I'm crazy? So I'm consulting this lady. I call her and uh, she runs a brokerage and her husband's on the phone. Uh, they're married, but he's not a partner in the business. And I say, hey, this is what I'm working on with Roland. She knows Roland. Um, I'm like, I run her the whole thing. And I said, is this something that you think you want to be a part of? And she says, Sam, stop it. 
I'm like, what? She's like, I'm not even going to ask my husband. We're in. My only question for you is, why didn't you think about this two years ago? I'm like, damn, I'm onto this. So now I'm like, I got to make another call. Call the next person. This guy has a $4 million of EBITDA. He's in the process of selling to a competitor at a five and a half X. I give him the pitch, two business partners, both of them like, hot damn, Sam. Yes, we're in. What's next? Like, what do we have to do? Where's the paperwork? And I'm like, man, I'm onto this. So I make another phone call and another phone call. I have yet to have a company say no. Yet to have a company say no. I will get someone to say no. And I'm going to assume it's for one of two reasons. One, ego, right? Ego's, I think, the biggest killer of all deals. Uh, and two is probably someone that's just so analytical that they talk themselves out of the deal, which is fine. You know, my business partner's analytical. We're like yin and yang. I talk in grand sweeping statements. We're going to buy the world. He's like, well, how many pennies is that going to take? And he's got to pull out the little calculator. Um, but that's my intuition is that people will say no. And it's probably because of ego. Or it's probably because they're, they're just two what ifs. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Like in every deal, there's the what ifs. Um, any questions on any of this so far? And then I'm going to pull, pull back the curtains on some hacks that we've learned along the way to uh, find more of these people, what I call Trojan horses. Roland? Uh, 83 million in about four and a half to five months. Um, I, and I, guys, I'm not saying this to like pound my chest. Like I have really not even tried yet. Like once, once we, and I'll tell you what the first step is. Once we do the first step and we're ready for like public noise making, the amount of noise that we're going to make in the market and the collective of everybody that's in this making noise, we are going to rattle the cage in the industry. Roland again. Uh, it's like uh, 1.6 something billion. Yeah, 1.660. So yeah, we're already, if, if we get nobody else, 20% of 1.6 billion, uh, what is that, 320 million? As my good friend and business partner and mentor always says, every 320 million counts, right? Um, and I'll tell you how I have no doubt that we're going to hit the 300 million. Uh, let's go over here. Where's the... So I get that you're doing this, but I'm curious, is there any like integration or post-integration strategy as part of this at all? Great or question. Or is this just a national expansion? Yeah. So let me color in a couple of things. We're buying 100% shops that will all eventually merge onto one brand. We're buying split shops, meaning traditional brokerages, 80-20 split, that will all merge into one brand. We're buying settlement services, escrow, mortgage, title. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to meet with a mortgage company in Orange County that says he has $9 million of EBITDA. Um, so it's a holding company of all of those. Once they sign the paperwork and we essentially launch, um, two things. One, that this is where Roland and Grant take over. I'm just going to be the mouthpiece and go sell, and they're going to cross the T's and dot the I's. Um, but the game plan as it sits today is every quarter for the next two years, 
they're going to submit to us their financials so we can know where they're at. And if at any point we decide, you know, Demetrius, it looks like you're going the wrong way. Um, we're going to politely ask you to not be a part of the collective. He'll get his 25,000 back. But if he gets his head on a swivel and goes somewhere else or decides to back out, his 25,000 is non-refundable. So every quarter they'll be submitting their, their, their financials. In 24 months, all the companies will merge into one holding company. We will run for about 12 months. Again, this is a rolling and grand thing. It looks like we're dancing around eight to 12 months where we will run with one holding company that holds the different businesses and have that financial blueprint so that when we do go public, it's not like we just you know, put a Lego set together and now we're trying to sell it to Wall Street. So effectively what we're looking at, if everything uh, is as it looks like today, it's 24 months of bundling, 12 months at that at the 24 months, we all merge into one holding company. 12 months after that, uh, we ring the bell. And um, if Kent was in here, I'd make fun of him. Go buy a lot of cars, a lot of watches, um, probably a few jets and make a bunch of uh, smart investments. So two years of uh, two years of um, buying the EBITDA, two years of running as an integrated. Uh, two years of bundling EBITDA, one year of running uh, under one holding company together. So a total of 36 months. Okay. And then IPO. And then IPO. Okay. But we will start, we will start the, uh, and Roland can correct me if I'm wrong. We will file our S1 right after we merge. So we'll probably file our S1 around 24 to 26 months from now. We'll get our comments. That whole thing will take about 12 months. We hire, I guess what they're called, market movers or something. No idea. That's why Roland's my business partner. There's a lot of things that we have to do in that 12-month period. Uh, and then ideally in 36 months, uh, we're ringing the bell and, and we're on that big screen on the side of the NASDAQ building. So uh, I have two questions. So you're buying as an option to buy, right? You're not outright buying these companies. We're buying them as a collective roll-up. Roll-up, okay. Um, they are putting that deposit. So if they decide to change their mind, they can. They're not getting their 25 grand back. Yeah. Um, if we decide that they're no longer a good fit, we will refund their $25,000 deposit. So from my understanding, once you do a roll-up, there should be a, someone has to run for a certain time frame, right? Yeah, so that's why we're going to, in 24 months, we'll merge into one holding company. Um, I'm not certain yet at that point. I will probably step down as CEO. And um, again, I'm going to let Roland and Grant make this decision. We'll probably hire a C-level suite of Wall Street friendly, you know, people that probably don't always wear hats and have tattoos and everything everywhere. Um, so there, there will be a new C-level suite possibly. Uh, and after we've run for those 12 months and actually have the numbers as one holding company, we will file our, uh, we will go public at that point. So the legal wise is that I'm not sure this piece, the, um, the escrow companies can be on a one parent company. Escrow companies can can be on a one parent company on the realtor as well as the escrow company. Yeah. And so right now I own I own a brokerage. I own an escrow company. I have interest in mortgage property management. Uh, we're already doing that. Um, the just to answer your question on the legal side, not that it matters for this case study. A licensed agent doing a transaction can't double dip on their own transaction. Meaning if I'm 
selling her home. Um, I can't get paid as the owner of the escrow company a commission for that. But as the owner of the company, regardless of what happened, I don't even have a license, by the way. Um, so my my brokerage or our brokerage, we have a higher broker of record. I don't even have a real estate license. I get paid a salary, I get paid consulting, and I get paid distributions. Um, but to answer your question, yes. And there's a big company out there called Realogy. Uh, Realogy owns Century 21, Coldwell Banker. They own a bunch of escrow mortgage title settlement services. Um, they're probably the biggest holding company in the real estate space. Thank you. I yep. appreciate it. Uh, let's go back there real quick. So, oh, okay. There we go. Long pass. No, I was just trying to make the pass easier, but I'm all for someone taking it to the head on accident. That's the baby head. Um, <laughs> hey, it's the dad bod sin. Um, so totally blew my question out of my mind now, but um, oh yeah. So you said they have to report quarterly on their financials. What other things do they have to do to, to stay inside the, the, to qualify? Uh, not go backwards, or if they do go backwards, we have a minimum threshold of uh, 1 million EBITDA to be able to participate. Naturally, there might be some outliers, like I have a company I haven't even told Roland about. I'm not gonna tell you what it is because it's very innovative. It's a tech play in the space. Um, it, it'll be a big part of the industry in the future. At that time, they may or may not have a million dollars of EBITDA, but we certainly wanna own that tech in our holding company. So there might be some outliers, but they have to have a million dollar minimum to participate quarterly distribute. I mean, quarterly uh, submission of their financials. Um, and uh, we have not yet decided the time frame, but before the 24 months, before we all merge, uh, the different, the 100% verticals and the split verticals will all merge into one brand. Okay. So there'll be a 100% brand and a split brand. And all these, the owners of these brokerages are agreeing to, to stay on board, to run their own businesses still? Great question. Point. So uh, there's a few things here. Are they agreeing to stay on? Um, yes and no, right? What I mean by that is all of them so far are like, hell yeah, let's go public and continue to grow this thing. Uh, we're going to work out the details with the way I've been positioning it. And Roland, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. Uh, they have to keep a minimum of $250,000 of salary uh, for themselves that does not get added to their EBITDA or anything, so that if they decide to leave, we have that $250,000 pre-built into replacing them if they end up riding off into the sunset. The other thing is there's a two-year cliff-ish, two-year-ish, meaning they can't sell any shares for two years, and then they can sell a percentage of their shares every year thereafter. Uh, but earlier I talked about capital, long-term capital gains, something I wanna address. Um, what I've learned is a lot of the wealthiest people really don't sell anything, they leverage it on debt. So if you have like, let's say in Demetrius' scenario, he has $16 million of shares, he could go to Chase and become a private banking client. They'll probably give him about $8 million line of credit at like two or 3% interest only. Um, so they can have the benefits of their, you know, their net worth without selling it immediately. There's a two year cliff and then they can sell a percentage of their holdings uh, every year thereafter until they completely sell it or pass it on to their 
you know, kids or whatever it may be. Cool. Thank you, man. Yep. Uh, let's go right here. Thank you. All right. Um, Sam, I think that's a brilliant idea. Like I've heard you talk about it over the last year or so, um, you know, from inception and it's just grown and grown. It sounds amazing. Thank you. Uh, the, the question I had was, so I if I recall, it was smaller before. It was like $2 billion and now it's 6 Is that because you're finding it so much easier to have people put their hands up and say yes? Yep. Or did it go to $6 billion for another There's person? a couple of things that happened. One, the first goal was bundle $100 million, uh, or 24 months, whatever comes first. Then the recession hit one. So now we're obviously going to time it for the next bull run. Two, it became a lot easier than um, we anticipated it would be. Um, and if we have time, I'll get into some of the Trojan horse stuff that we're doing that uh, I probably have another, I think, 80 to 100 billion on the sidelines that we haven't even pulled the trigger on yet. Um, so it went from 100 million to 200 million to now, I think, 300 million. So 300 million times 20. I mean, look, if we get a 30X, now we're talking about $9 billion, right? We're already dancing at 6 billion, but at 9 billion, you know, we're dancing a little bit harder. Does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for asking. Let's go right next to you. Yeah, just wanted to ask, so is this all currently at the verbal stage? Like you're just literally making a phone call that you're not, they haven't have to sign anything yet. You're just sort of a relationship. Verbal, verbal. And, and letter of intent. A letter of intent that, yep. okay, that they can back out. Have they paid you the 25 grand yet? They have not. Um, and this is something that me and Grant have been working through and something I had to pull up on Roland with. Originally, Grant was saying, um, if you take the 25,000, you have to hold it in a trust account and that's going to cost you a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, but one of his attorneys, his law firm, has done this exact same thing before. And potentially now we have a loophole where we could hold it in a separate account and actually not touch it. Uh, but when we get, see what he said. Okay. Yeah. One, one thing, and you'll, you'll meet Grant tomorrow. And I love, love, love Grant. I was, uh, he, he was my law partner for, for several years. Um, but Grant is great because Grant is an attorney and the attorneys are not really supposed to think creatively. Um, but so, so they don't because they don't have to, and they don't actually get paid to. As a matter of fact, they're disincentivized to think correct uh, creatively because creative thinking can create malpractice lawsuits. Yeah. So um, a, a few of the things that to think about, one is the companies will be aggregated and sign purchase agreements relatively soon. Then there will be no back out unless we would allow it, they'll be committed. The deals will actually close and be done, but they'll be able to continue to be managers of their respective businesses, much as a division of a company would run on a separate P&L for that company. So we might have 30 people that are participating. We'd have 30 people that have PLs, effectively a company with 30 divisions. For a $6 billion company to have 30 divisions is not unusual. All of prior to that, all of those companies are required to come onto our back office SaaS, which will automatically aggregate all of those numbers together. Men, I think most actually of those companies are already 
on the SaaS? Yeah, so that's one of the Trojan horses. We built our own SaaS company. Every brokerage has to have a back office to manage their brokerage, audit files. Um, we use it for our companies, uh, and we also sell it as a SaaS to other brokerages. So when a brokerage comes on to this platform, we immediately know to a good degree their financial blueprint. So once they, even if they don't know about the rollup, once they end up being one of our SaaS customers, about 90 days later, they're gonna get a phone call from me saying, hey, can I share with you how I can quadruple your company's valuation and you can have a really fun time with us. But the cool thing is, is they'll all, we'll already have all their numbers. Yeah. So in terms of filing a consolidated financial statement, it's kind of a press of a button, right? Uh, now, the other thing is, is that we're accidentally growing that SaaS company to be pretty huge as a separate outside this deal company, and that will have its own valuation, but that's just kind of an extra booyah fun thing, right? Um, but on the 25K, that isn't something that we anticipate will be any profit to us. We're anticipating that this will cost about two and a half million dollars to do between legal and investment banking fees and accounting. And so all we're doing is self-liquidating through the participation. And we're telling people that too. It's like, hey, this isn't to make a ton of money. Um, and I already have a way to keep to keep it as it comes and basically have it cancel from a tax standpoint. So we won't pay taxes on it because it'll come in and be spent at the same time. Uh, we won't have to escrow it. That's 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 stinking thinking by attorneys. Just don't, just don't. That's why you need Uncle Fraser in your corner. <laughs> All right, next question. I think there was one right here. Can you uh, throw him the box, please? And thank you. I think you, I think you answered a lot of the questions, but how many um, um, companies are going to make up the consolidation to get to your goal? Um, <laughs> you know, roughly how many are on the 83? I think we're at about like 12-ish right now. Mm -hmm. um, the goal is fewer than more. So, so um, I'm going to guess, you know, <clears throat> now I'm talking to bigger and bigger EBITDAs mm -hmm. as like people are connecting me to other people. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I don't know, Roland, maybe 30. Yeah, I think 30, 30, to, 30 to 60. 30, yeah. I mean, look, they're out there. Um, so ideally less than more, yeah. but maybe 30 to 60 could but, get us to that number. But we'll also be thinking about who's got a good story because what helps with stocks and supporting prices is the story of the upside. So maybe there's an AI company that we also acquire that can then be deployed across all the companies and that creates a unique story for us. So we'll be looking at qualitative and quantitative factors as we make those decisions. What he's Got saying. it. Yeah, so I was going to ask about um, how that tw the twenty five thousand dollar fee which is going to be used, which you answered, um, and and then I guess the other question is, do you think that that twenty five thousand dollar fee is going to cover that or cover that two and a half million or whatever it is, or you're going to have to make a, an additional investment? We believe that that will cover it. Okay, and one more question: uh, So will there be consolidation? Once you do the aggregation of all of these companies, put them together to get rid of like the redundancy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So post merger integration will happen, but because of the promises that are made to the people so that we keep a easy exit carve out for people, if they don't fit, or if we find something that 
is a challenge. We'll be able to consolidate from a back office standpoint so we get the benefits of the roll-up, but maintain some independence from a divisional aspect so that we can sever them without it costing us. So we call that the starfish method. So we can basically, if you cut a starfish leg off, it grows another one. We can do that. Got it. But that's a good point. Like, you know, we're talking about consolidating, like, like for instance, uh, bookkeeping. So instead of every company paying $60,000, $70,000 for a bookkeeper, as a collective, maybe they can spend, we can all spend $20,000 and bring it all into one management company, uh, which is now another asset as well. Um, so th there'll be ways that we can support them in becoming more profitable through the process and then obviously afterwards. And so the the bottom line is, is like the reason that I wanted Sam to come and share this with you is this is really the focus of where we're moving with our acquisitions to significantly larger deals that are roll-ups. Uh, roll-ups are fun. They're also fraught with all kinds of challenges and complexities, but the baby brother or sister to a roll-up is called a tuck-in. And what I'd suggest that you guys start with is a platform company, which is a company that has an operator that you feel comfortable can handle and is into the idea of acquisition growth. It's got the infrastructure to support that, which is why for me, I like to have at least 10 employees. So you're going to want to have a decent HR department. You're going to have a decent uh, accounting department. You're going to have decent operations, right? When you, when you have a platform company, because this company is going to be used to acquire other companies. So it needs to have the ability to scale those functions across the acquisitions. And then if you acquire two, three, five, six companies, that's still not really a roll-up. That's just tuck-ins or add-ons. And they can be across any of the seven different categories on the acquisition wheel that we talk about. And that'll dramatically increase the value of whatever you guys have. Uh, then the next step would be moving to something like this. So I don't want to get too lost in the minutia. You're asking great questions, but unless you're doing roll-ups right now, I think that focusing on platform tuck-in add-on and then look at roll-up as the next thing that you do would be a good thing to do. But it's always nice to share with you the now and future places that you can go. Because to me, these are really exciting. And I mean, you don't have to be an investment banker to do a roll-up. All you have to do is be connected to somebody who has access to the companies to acquire. That's the easiest way to do that. Sam, when we were talking uh, about uh, hard to get along with guy, right? Way back when, and I was like, if only if we had somebody. This is the intent all along is, dude, go out and use your connections because people love Sam. He's well-known in the industry, right? Partnering with somebody like that gives you immense credibility and really to me way harder. I mean, it's it's because it's not my, my thing is not going out and knowing a bunch of people in the real estate industry. So to me, that's the hard thing. For Sam, the hard thing is, what the hell is a market maker and how do you do that? And what's a, uh, an equity collar and how do we, you know, put this stuff together and protect against the downside and short sellers and get people in and all that. That's easy to me. Right. So that's why that's a perfect combination. And same thing for you guys. If you can just go out and find the industry person, we've got the back end. If you have the back end and want to find an industry person, then go out and partner with somebody like that. I am a hundred percent a result a product of strategic relationships. Kent said it, Sam said it, relationships are everything. That's 
how you make something like this happen. Yeah. So any more questions for Sam before we let him go and anything else that you want to share with anybody? Um, He's done a ton of deals. If you want to talk about smaller, no money out of pocket acquisitions of uh, Facebook yeah. groups or things like that, uh, or deal generation. Got a question back here. You know what he said? We did a lot of, as he calls, tuck-ins first. It's not like we went from like one company to let's... Will you share a couple of those, Sam, just real quick? Just um, like, like, how'd you find them? And what what was the... Yeah, director? so one of them is a Facebook group. Um, actually, my business partner that uh, is helped bring it together is in the room. Kevin, say hi. Um, so Kevin and I, brothers, different mothers... He gets a phone call. Uh, someone wants to sell the second largest uh, Facebook group in our space. And um, obviously, we're interested for a lot of different reasons. But at its core, just building our personal brand, having more influence helps us get franchises, you know, recruiting agents. For, for him, the same thing. He owns a brokerage. He has a lead gen company. So we wanted it as an asset to just amplify everything that we're doing. Um, and I, I won't get into the details of the actual terms and how it all worked out. But we were able to buy it um, zero out of pocket. Uh, after negotiating everything and getting our final purchase price, uh, what we agreed to was they wanted uh, $20,000 down and then the rest we got on terms. So they wanted the $20,000 up front I learned from Roland. I was like, so you want a $20,000 advance? I'm okay with that. What we'll do is a deferred advance, which means that we'll give you the $20,000. I think it was what, 60 days after we closed or something. Um, so we said, we'll pay the 20,000 60 days after we close. But before we closed, uh, we went out and found a title sponsor that was going to be a sponsor in the group. And the pitch to him was, hey, normally we're going to sell a title sponsor uh, for, I forget what we said, like $40,000 a year. Uh, but because of our relationship and because we're just taking this deal down, if you pay $20,000, we'll give you half off. Um, and you can be the title sponsor of the group. So he gave us the $20,000. We got that before we ultimately inked the deal, even though we had the 60 days to pay them, we had that money lined up. So the money that we got from the sponsor paid our $20,000 deposit. And then the, the monthly payments on terms, we were able to cover by just bringing in other affiliates and advertisers and, and things of that nature. So that half off sponsor deal is something you should write down because you'll forget it if you don't. That that sponsors are so much better than investors. If you've gone through the program, you've heard me talk about that because sponsors pay every year or every month or every quarter. Investors, you get one time and then they also get to boss you around a little bit, right? Sponsors, you can say, thanks for the money. Once the time's gone, see you if you don't like them, right? And get somebody else. Um, but giving them a discount off of the fee that, by the way, you get to set 50% off today. Okay, 50, what's the normal fee? How much do you want? I need $20,000. Great. The fee is $40,000 normally, right? I mean, that's legit how you get to make that up. We just needed 20,000 bucks. So it was worth 40,000 bucks. And we were giving them. A no, I mean, if it was crazy, that'd be, it'd be hard to do. But I mean, you actually do get to set the price there. So that's thing one. Do you remember the thing that I asked you if you had done and you got a little bit frustrated because you're like, damn it, I wish I'd have thought of that on the once you had the commitment from the sponsor, but you had a payment that was due to the seller? No, I don't. Okay. 
So uh, I like that we have permission to tell them now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the so basically he went out and got the sponsors and had a revenue based financing deal so that when money came in from oh, yeah. whatever he was going to do, do you remember now? Yeah. Go ahead, tell them. So uh, we, I think we had what was it like twenty four month term on I forget what it was it was a few years ago on the balance uh but we were able to go get sponsors I think is what you're leaning towards ahead of time he said well you should have negotiated that if we pay you off sooner than the 24 months that we end up getting a discount on the total purchase price yeah so like if it was seventy thousand dollars let's say that was financed and you go out and you get 70 and and you go out and you sell seventy thousand of sponsors now you've got the seventy thousand so under the RBF, under the revenue-based financing deal, you would pay that 70000 to them right away. If instead of doing it in that sequence, the sequence was, hey, let me go out and query my sponsors and see if I can get commitment. I'll get them to commit and sign a contract that says that this is the deal for sponsorship, right? If the deal doesn't go through, I can always give it back, but we know the deal is going to go through. It's just a question of what we pay when. Then you go to the person who's agreed already in principle to a payment of $70,000 over 24 months. And you say, you know what, listen, I, I, I've, I've kind of looked right now and I know that you really wanted this money all up front. If I could get you 35 grand at closing, because I, I think I might be able to put that together. Would you take that? You would be amazed at how many times, probably 70% of the time that they take that and you save yourself 35 grand right off the bat. You get to put 35 grand in your pocket and pay off the 35 grand that you owe them. Yeah. Kind of fun. And he probably would have taken it. Whoa. Um, he probably would have taken it because later on we we learned that the reason he wanted to sell was because he just wanted to pay off his truck. Which is why people do things, right? True but story, like, but remember that double tap is a is a big, big opportunity to save yourself a whole bunch of money. Yes, sir. Can we get the box? Did we well actually do we have a question back there? I know. Okay. Uh, Variable CFO AF and uh, fractional CFO space. Uh, so you were talking about your backend systems. You like build the SaaS. Was that like, did you know that going into that process? Or can you walk us through like how we, that We acquired that because we wanted to own a SaaS for our own business and didn't know if that was going to be part of the business or a spinoff later. Okay. But it just turned out that it was nice that we had it. Right. Yeah, we had the SaaS company way before the roll-up idea even existed. Um, we, we were spending, this is another good deal that we did. Um, this SaaS company already existed. We were spending, um, something around eight or $10,000 a month for the SaaS that we were using for our company. Uh, and we were able to buy this one and in the terms we said, okay, cause the guy, we didn't buy the whole thing. We bought a, a good chunk of it. We said, you know, here's the terms, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we landed on two things that helped us get it out of pocket. One, um, actually we did put maybe like 10,000 down, something small. The rest was $8,000 a month payments, but our company gets to use it for free because he was still a partner. So- It paid for itself in the first month. It paid for itself. Essentially, you know, after X period of months, we paid off the, the seller financing. Instead of paying the other company, we were just paying him to- uh, buy a big chunk of the business. So effectively, we we bought that thing for no money or close to no money out of pocket by just 
moving the dollar. So we talk about E to P, turning expenses into profits. You can also E to I, you can turn expenses into investments that way. Because if you're not having to pay it as an expense anymore, but you can turn it into an investment to pay something off that you otherwise would have had as an expense, but you're building an asset instead, that's kind of a cool strategy. Anything else? I think we had one Neo, hang on just one second. I'm gonna I'm gonna close the deal before I leave out of here by Friday yeah. with this group oh, I'm looking at. So I got a question. Adam gave me a lot of game, but when you buy some of these groups, because I want to aggressively buy groups because media is becoming more expensive. So I'm I'm buying Instagram pages, I'm buying YouTubes, I'm buying your email list, text list, all type of stuff. But one of these that I'm looking at, should I let them remain running it? Because now I got to train somebody up to run it. Like, I'll just take 50%, let them continue to run the business. And then we going to get all the money I'm going to send for people wanting to do advertisement on their page, similar to what y'all said. I mean, we we did that. We left one of, there was two partners in it. Um, we left one of them in um, for a, a small, you know, Kevin and I control the group. Um, but he stayed in. He was there from the beginning, the inception. And I I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that if you switch uh, super admin, that that might trigger Facebook in some sort of weird way because a bunch of stories. So we wanted to keep at least one of the admins in there. No, we just bought a group and we just removed her altogether. So. And it didn't trigger anything with Facebook? No, we got right. right now. So we were a little nervous about if that would or would not. So we did, but that's the only group that, that we've purchased. So you have a couple of things to think about with that. You can, um, if you've got centralized media creation, so we in a company that I've got with Chris Crone, we've got about 35 people on the team doing media. So when we're acquiring Facebook groups and media assets, we really can take care of the production unless it's personality based, if it's personality based, like, cause there's Instagram pages that are like travel and real estate. There's no personality attached to that, but then there's real there's uh, Instagram pages that are, you know, you, right. It's going to be hard for us right now. It's coming with Synthesia, but um, it's going to be hard for us to deep fake you. Right. So we're going to want to keep a deal with you. So I think if it's a, if it is a personality agnostic site, or the personality could easily be replaced by your media team, you're going to make a lot more money by having a centralized media team that's providing shared services to create the content. If it's personality-based, then I think it's better to try to keep that person on and either transition them out uh, over some period of time, usually six to 12 months, or just keep them, right? And I, you got a couple of options there. You can hire them and figure out what, is, what are they making right now, and usually it's not much. So you could double or triple that. And they're just as excited as can be. You don't cut them in on the ads or anything like that. Or if they are really contributing and doing great things and growing fast, you can say, we're also going to cut you in for X percent rev share on the ads or profit share on the ads. They're not going to continue to have ownership. You'll continue to build the value of the asset independently. No problem. We've also had no problem reaching out to our Facebook reps and consolidating groups. So if we have four groups around a particular topic, we'll just consolidate them into the one that's the best keyword search. And um, and then all of those users come into one group and no problems there. So you're saying it's better- Can you talk into the box for people? You're basically saying it's better to pay them and just keep them on versus letting them keep equity. I don't like having other people have equity because they have minority ownership rights. 
that can create challenges if they get difficult to deal with. And unfortunately, sometimes when you're very successful at showing them how they could have been monetizing before yeah. and they're doing the math in their heads because they're they're looking at who the advertisers are and stuff yeah. like that, they're, they'll get a little uppity and they'll say, you know, hey, I'm really entitled to that. You took advantage of me, blah, blah, blah. And that's like, that's a potential liability that I would just as soon not have. Mm, that's good. Thank you. And remember, you can always cut them in. So it's like, if you're like, I feel bad, I got such a great deal on that. And I've actually done this many times and actually makes you look a whole lot better than if you're having to um, cut them down to say, look, you know what? You had a lot to do with building that. We just cashed out on that. We got a nice thing. Here's a hundred grand. And they're like, holy crap, right? Instead of, well, my lawyer told me that, you know. Uh, what type of content, are there any contingencies you guys normally put in those type of agreements? Contingencies as far as like if something happens then? Not really because we we buy 100% of the of the equity from them, right? So the only contingency would be that, um, well, there's reps and warranties in every acquisition, representations and warranties. So there are representations that they haven't gained the system, they haven't violated the terms of service, you know, things like that. They haven't committed fraud. They indemnify us for any liabilities that come from any acts that were before the transfer of ownership. Those are all really standard though. So we don't usually have contingencies other than maybe a like a revenue-based financing deal where we're acquiring based on what are we going to be able to do to monetize and they're only being paid if that happens. That would be a contingency. Uh, how about non-competes? Non-compete um, is generally something that we don't worry about because they can open up another channel and build that. They're not allowed to poach, raid say bad things about circumvent, hire people away or any of those things. Those are all pretty standard clauses that we've got. We don't really want to stop them from going and doing something else. Like, build, build another channel and we'll buy that too, right? You don't think about the chances of them like taking all the context that are there to, to start the other page with? It's not easy to do, you know? So I, we haven't had a problem with it. If it was something that happened, then, you know. And if they did, does it, does it really matter? Because you still have their eyeballs, which is what you're buying. That's the biggest page. Yeah, yeah exactly. A quick question with the consolidation of multiple pages, because that's a really good idea. Actually, I have a lot of pages. How are you nurturing them when you combine them? Like, are people lost? Like, hey, what's going on? I just come to this group. It's a new name. New yeah, you, you would announce it as a positive thing. Okay. Hey, this is super exciting news. We were able to blah, 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 and then make your pitch. I have somebody like him do that. Got it. Then secondly, when you when you talk about the sponsorships, how like where is it just a banner or are you doing post or what is that? Yeah. So for us, um, there's different packages, but it's actually really smart. <laughs> they they got their name on the top banner. They got to do um, I forget the terms of this one. He was allowed to do a live training in the group four times a month. We would interview him in the group a couple times a month. He was allowed to do X amount of static posts per month, um, all as a moderator badge, as opposed to just like a regular person. But think, think and, about what that does. That creates all kinds of content that's super valuable to your people. And as long as you're careful to get a non-competitive sponsor that's not competitive to you, then yeah, right. And you can also have your sponsors. So let's say I bring Roland in to do a training in the group. That that live training is sponsored by. So in the promotion of it, the sponsor has their name on the graphic, kind of like in a podcast. Hey, got to give a shout out to our sponsor, Scalable, for helping us, you know, put this thing together. 
Roland's going to share some knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. So really you look at it like display advertising, radio advertising, podcast advertising, um, all of that. Essentially it's eyeballs and ears and you can just wedge a sponsor in between those things. And affiliate. And affiliate. Can yeah. you see, if you guys have questions, Sam can see the chat. Can you read that? I can't, but I can put my glasses on and see it. Uh, uh, if you guys have any questions from uh, home or on the stream, just put them in there right now and we'll try to answer a couple of those. Uh, it looks like comments as opposed to questions. Okay, comments are cool. Any more questions here? Deanna, can you come up? Any other questions here? Going once, going twice. All right. We got a mic in a box. There'll be last questions. Um. So I know you mentioned that that one sponsor reached out to you guys. No, the um, seller reached out to my business partner. Okay. The sponsor, um, I knew. Um, I this guy was in the process of trying to build his personal brand. Very successful. The guy, you know, he'll he'll drop twenty grand at the table in Vegas in like five minutes. So I knew that for him, the twenty thousand bucks was not even going to be a question. And funny enough, I don't think he ever actually did anything in the group did he yeah i mean he literally he gave us the 20 grand and just yeah i mean he barely showed up at all um he just financed it for us and you know we love people like that god bless his heart got it so is there like any other acquisition or like um like uh lead strategies other than just messaging him saying hey do you want to sell the group well we've only done that one group um and again that one fell in our lap Right. Um, but I, I would say, you know, we talked about going deeper in this and what we learned in this process is most people start groups for passion, not for profit. Um, and people that started for passion generally have no idea how to monetize it. So they end up building, they end up giving birth to a baby that turns into a teenager and now it smells. And now that, you know, they want to get rid of it, but they don't know how to get rid of it. So we show up and say, hey, that's how I would approach it. Hey, notice you grew this fantastic group. Like, have you ever thought about X, Y, and Z? And if you just did a bunch of DMs to the main admins, um, I'm sure that you would get people to say yes. And I was going to say, that's it. Is It's it's really a DM campaign to, to go and acquire. So we'll create the list. We'll have usually a VA build the list based on the acquisition criteria for the group. And then we'll just send out DMs to all those folks. And then the ones that reply, we'll have conversations with Okay. Awesome. All right. Let's give Sam a great big hand. Thank you so much. Hey, Roland Frazier here. If you're looking for a way to grow your business exponentially, to get more customers and ultimately increase your wealth, there's no faster way to do it than to acquire other businesses that already have the customers, products, services, teams, and media that you want. If you want to double your sales, just acquire a company that has the same sales as yours. It sounds simple, but far too many people end up starting new businesses that fail and forget that they could skip all the hard stuff and just acquire one that already exists. There's a reason why Private equity firms, family offices, big companies like Apple, Google, and some of the smartest entrepreneurs on the planet do not start new businesses from scratch. They acquire already successful businesses. And when they do it, they instantly increase their sales, their profits. If they want market share, they increase that. They can get new products and services to offer all instantly. Hey, look, 90% 
of new businesses fail. 90%. Why not acquire an already successful business and increase your chances of success by 900%? What most people don't realize is you can acquire highly profitable businesses with no money out of your own pocket in pretty much any country in the world, regardless of your credit and without having to go find a bunch of investors or needing any experience. Look, I've been acquiring businesses for over 30 years now, and I cover the whole process in my epic investing strategy training, and I want to give it to you 100% free. Just visit businesslaunchpodcast.com forward slash epic to get your free access to my epic investing training right now while it's available. 